Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 382 featuring the amazing Scott Curvin. Yes, Scott Curvin, some of you may know, he was one of the founders of Splutterfish, the makers of Brazil. Uh, and this is, you know, if you guys have been following the render, <laughs> renders, renderers in the last 20, 30 years, you know that uh, uh, Brazil was a very, very interesting and a powerful ray tracer that came out around the same time that V-Ray did. So it was definitely one of the competitors to that area. And But Scott uh, and Steve also were, were super nice guys. I really liked them. I've been in touch with Scott for, for years, and it was great catching up with him. And just to talk about, you know, his experiences uh, you know, since those days, he's done a lot of different things and has gone on a lot of different adventures and uh, made a lot of, uh, shall we say, adjustments or, or in his career or, or things that he's wanted to do or pivots. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but it's great. And he's back doing visual effects these days and really getting into virtual production and a bunch of other things as well. So it was really cool t- chatting with him. Uh, Kristen, what did you think of Scott? Yeah, well, I call him like a jack of all trades. He's done everything. Um, Mm -hmm. He just came back from being on set for a while where, you Mm -hmm. know, he explains he just thrives. He loves being on it. Um, But like he's gone from like blur to (laughs) brewing beer and then more VFX soup work. And then, as you said, wrote one of the original Max Ray Tracers. So it is an incredible story and very interesting, very tech focused podcast. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, Great. before before V-Ray and before any of that stuff, there was there was the capability of doing ray tracing that happened inside of Max, and it wasn't a full ray tracer, but but that was something that 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 was written by by Scott Bover in in at uh, at uh, Blur. So it was really cool, sort of like this guy, you know, got a lot of stuff. Really nice guy, super generous with his time, and super kind. And I've always enjoyed uh, his company. So really great chatting with him. Uh, okay, we've got a couple of announcements. Kristen, what's going on? We've got something happening on July 15th. What's going on? Yeah, so you can find this out at chaos.com slash events, but Chaos will be hosting a special live stream on um, Bill... Billy, Billy, I have to say, yeah. right? Um, to learn what's new in V-Ray 6 for 3DS Max and how to apply it in your workflow. So again, go to chaos.com slash events and you can sign up for that online. Perfect. And if you guys are curious about V-Ray 6 for 3DS Max, it is still in beta, but not for long. So if you want to hop onto the beta, you better do it soon and get check it out. Uh, but V-Ray 6 has got a lot of cool stuff. It's got a new cloud system, new geometry patterns, new scatter tools, new V-Ray N-Mesh, uh, decals with displacement, a new proxy hierarchy, so many new things that are happening. So it would be great uh, to get your feedback on those as a beta. But if you want to, even if you want to just check it out as a beta and see what those new features are like, you better do it uh, fairly soon because it will be uh, going out of beta <laughs> not long from now. All right. Uh, but if people want to know more about the podcast, where should they go, Kristen? You can go to facebook.com slash CG Garage podcast or chaos.com slash CG Garage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaos group TV. Perfect. And if you have any ideas of other podcasts or we'd like to have questions about this one or just give us a comment in general, you can always email us. It's labs at chaos.com. But for now, enjoy episode number 382 with Scott Curvan. Welcome to another CG Garage where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're going to fire off rays. In high dynamic range, we know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. You and I have met many, many times, uh, but it's been a long time since we've connected. Uh, And I think one of the times I remember meeting you, believe it or not, was at a soft homage party. <laughs> we were, and it was in Santa Monica, and it was you, me, and Joe Alter were chatting outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, th- I think I was talking to you about, about rendering, because obviously, you know, I was, I was really into rendering at the time. I still am. Uh, but uh, I was talking to Joe, and I, he said, yeah, I'm making this new plugin called Shave and a Haircut. And I said, you know what you should do is you should make a grass plugin for architects. 
and, uh, and, and, and you said, listen to him, Joe, like architects, there's a lot of money in architecture and rendering. And I was, and I was, I just sort of remember he's I was like, you see, Scott gets it. Scott gets it. So, uh, so it was kind of interesting. So, so I want to know a little bit from your perspective, like what, how did you get into CG? Like what, or what, what was the sort of, that got you into all of this stuff? Uh, it started a long, long time ago. Um, I mean, I was, I was probably 12 or 13 and I um, got access to, well, no, man, it started like when, I was, when I was 11. A buddy of mine, uh, okay. my mentor, taught me guitar, taught me guitars, electronics. We just we just did all kinds of um, really interesting stuff together. And I was a kid. He was, he was, he, I, I had a crush on his daughter. So I ended up hanging out at their house a lot. <laughs> Um, she wanted nothing to do with me, uh-huh. but he was very cool. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so he got like a Sinclair ZX81 at one point. It was like a sort of a heat <gasps> thing that you solder together, right? So he bought the kit. We that was it. my first computer. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was that was how I learned to program. Was was with it had this membrane keyboard that had modes that you could you could program it with. No way to save anything I wrote except for writing it down on paper. Right, so I wrote all my programs down on paper, and I would I would actually start it out because it was so slow and such a pain to use. I actually would plan and write programs on paper, and then try them on the computer. I ended up writing some video games, right? These little games that that you set them up, right. and they were kind of like Depth Charge was one. I was copying arcade games, right? And it was a skiing thing. Mm-hmm. And basically, all the games ran. And you'd you'd watch your score and see how good a score you could get until the RAM filled up and the game crashed. And that was that was how the games all played. But I went from that, like so those are graphics based on like that's really cool. Um and I actually I got then we upgraded to an Apple II and I wrote a paint program. Mm-hmm. This was like there was no mouse available or anything like that. You used the keyboard to to skirt a little cursor around the screen and and I had keystrokes for like just change the color of a pixel or like drawing a box or a, a circle. And it was actually, you could, you could push it pretty far. It was, it was pretty funny. And then uh, um, you'd even save the images and stuff like that. I got, so I ended up taking, like finally getting into computer classes in high school and I was able to sort of opt out of the computer classes and go do independent study because I walked in on day one and just showed the instructor what I was already doing. And he's like, yeah, you're going to be a, you're going to be a little bit bored. <laughs> so why don't you go to the library and just do whatever you want? So that's where it's right. um, I've always been like really visual photography, painting, uh, drawing, things like that. Uh, and, uh, got into college and ran across like, uh, I think it was like a, a Seagraphs proceedings uh, in the library. And I was like, Mm-hmm. Holy shit, this is amazing. Jello Dynamics, what's that, right? Things like that. And I just got super excited mm-hmm. about it and tried to get into it at that point, uh, tried to get into computer graphics in the business, but it was in Minneapolis, it was a pretty pretty tough thing to do. There was like, oh, well, there's these commercial artist guys. And I think SGI was actually based there. I think I called SGI and it was like, hey, is there anything I can do? And they're like, well, I'll go to college, right? That sort of thing. So it was like, um, mm-hmm. but you know, even all that, all computer science was, had nothing interested in. So I actually ended up becoming an electrical engineer. Um, and it was after graduation that I, I, I kind of always just kept, uh, doing graphics as sort of a side thing along with all the engineering work. So I was always plotting things and, and, and stuff like that. And that got me into, into some, um, I got hired as a graphics guy for a biomedical company that did. Sleep disorder diagnostics. Um, that was okay. so boring. Did that for about a year. And then I ended up uh, finding out that there was a company that was doing computer graphics uh, in Minneapolis. And it was uh, on the Amiga. And it was uh, Impulse. They had a program called Imagine 3D. And I started working from, with mm-hmm. them. So that's kind of, I guess, that's, that's where it started. Because um, that's where it really <clears throat> jumped from really rudimentary, simple, like turning pixels on and off to actually doing stuff that was more rendering based and, and uh, using real color gradients and visual fidelity and things like that. And that's also where I started to meet a lot of people that were doing this stuff. Um, And 
uh, made some lifetime friendships through like AOL and things like that and uh, got me into the business. Uh, okay. Friendships through that got me a job uh, after Impulse. I ended up out um, at Blur Studio uh, in Venice Beach. Um, so you moved from Minneapolis to, to Venice? Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was employee number 11 at Blur. Uh, I was actually just on a road okay. trip with a buddy. And one of these friends I had made through AOL uh, worked at Blur Studio. I knew nothing about Blur. But we were traveling and, and road tripping through California. And I was I was like, hey, you know, can I stop in and see what you do? And he brought me in, introduced me to everybody, uh, showed me where my desk was going to be, um, things like that. So <laughs> two weeks later, I was actually at Blur Studio. And I was uh, hired on as, a, as an effects programmer. Okay. Things like uh, fire and textures and things like this uh, had never touched 3ds Max prior to that, and they were a 3D Studio Max house. Uh, right. So I started programming in that, and then from there got into more and more rendering software. Spun that off into uh, we wrote a renderer called called Brazil at the time it was the Brazil rendering system. It was a ray tracing, um, production quality ray tracing. Uh, global illumination renderer. And we uh, spun that off into a separate company. Uh, Blur let us do that. Blue, um, me and my buddy, uh, Steve Blackman, we did that. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, did that for eight years, maybe probably a little bit more than eight years, to be honest. And then we got acquired and that didn't last very long. So, um, very bad experience, burned me out pretty bad. I took a giant left turn and opened a brewery. So I've been I've been in the brewery business for the last ten years, and uh, just getting back into uh, back into film work and stuff. I've always loved filmmaking and film work, and throughout like Blur was awesome because they let let us sort of um, moonlight and work with other studios. So I got to work on a wide variety of, of the of the filmmaking stuff and, and, uh, as well as like visual effects work. And it was, uh, it was kind of once Splutterfish started and we were doing the Brazil renderer, then I stayed in that part of my allergies are really bad. Um, That's okay. I, uh, um, I was able to sort of continue to dabble in, in the film business. And then it eventually got to the point where like, Splatterfish was taking up way too much of my time. Film work was no longer really an option. And I uh, moved to Seattle and sort of fell out of the business. And that's when I, um, we were acquired and I opened that brewery. Um, but over the right. last oh, probably 10 years, five years, if you take COVID out of it, but, um, you know, over the last 10 years or so, I've kind of gotten slowly back into a little bit more of the filmmaking side of things. Not a lot of visual effects work uh, or um, large productions being done in the Seattle area. So it's been a lot of independent films, a little bit of acting and and, and stuff like that. But um, Wow. And in the last, just coming out of COVID, um, I got really interested in, actually just before COVID, I got really interested in what's been going on with um, GPU, real-time processing, things like that. Um, mm -hmm just really sunk my teeth into Unreal Engine. Really loving it. Um, excuse me. And I've uh, been getting back into visual effects supervision. So now I've, uh, oh, a little over a year ago, no, not even not even that long. It was, um, I, I picked up, I did a GMC commercial that I was able to visual effects supervise on. It's the first thing I'd done like that in the longest time. It was local up on one of the mountains out here. It was great. And then, uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, back from the Venice era, uh, Todd Perry, called me up and he had a he needed a a partner on a, a visual effects job he was taking, and it was technical um, technical supervision. There was uh, it was all forced perspective in camera work, so there was a lot of mathematics involved, and it was a lot of on the fly uh, stuff. And uh, he got me on that job, and uh, I was literally. <laughs> Uh, in New Orleans for five months, uh, working on that show. It's a show for Amazon. Um, we can talk about it more. If you know. Okay. Um, yeah. And I ended up, uh, and then another couple of weeks uh, in um, the Bay Area in California, and just wrapped that. I've only been home for about a week now. 
So okay, <laughs> that's the like, Yeah, you know? I know because we kept trying to schedule <laughs> schedule this podcast, and it had to be around that schedule. But yeah. Uh, now listen, I don't want to. You know, I know you went. You know, you kind of went through the, the Reader's Digest version of your career because there's oh, some important parts that I want people to know true. more. <laughs> <laughs> more about it but i mean like correct me if i'm wrong because the rumor on the street is that uh either you or, or or i mean one of you guys wrote one of the original max ray tracers that got put into max is that correct yeah yeah that was us we um sort of our the the big the big idea back this is before Max had a, a, I mean, it was all scanline and they needed a little bit of ray tracing. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of what they needed. Some of that stuff in the studio, we were, we were just hitting walls with just simple reflections and, and things like that. And, and yeah, we were looking, digging into the, the, the shader API inside 3ds Max and inside the scanline runner. And the way it worked was you would, as a shader, you get this, the renderer says, hey, I've got this point in the space. It's attached to this object. What color is it, right? And then the shader goes, and, and it's got its pile of data that you give it. It could just, it could just be that you typed in, uh, set it to red, right? So it could return red at the color mm -hmm. that the renderer is looking for. And we were like, mm -hmm. you know, what if? What if we said, when the renderer asked the shader what color it was, the shader said, Hang on a second. I'm going to go find that out. And it shot a ray into the scene and saw and returned what it saw. And it was like within, like when that idea popped into our heads, within, I bet it was within an hour or two of, of hacking around, we had basically mm -hmm. silhouettes of other objects that we were seeing in reflections. And it's like, holy crap, this is going to work um, if we can get enough information. And we actually worked a little bit with the Yoast group. Um, who were the, yeah. the programmers behind uh, Three Studio Max, and yep. uh, to get to find out where the information was available that we needed because it was in there, or else I think there was maybe like one API that, that they had to add for us so we could get a little bit more information. But I, I think that came later when we were really trying to do something a little bit richer with it. And yeah, it ended up being you'd, you'd uh, it was pretty it was pretty funny because you'd you'd hit. Render right, the scanline render would be like did 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 it. Then it would hit like something that had the the ray trace material or texture on it, and it would like stop. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, this dialogue <laughs> pop up and start like doing all this this shit, calculating all this stuff and, and right. like, collecting the entire scene into basically spawned off a separate render. And then once that was right. done, it would just just clock right along through that, you know. And it was it was it was pretty cool. It was pretty. Uh, it was a pretty neat idea. The way it worked, and yeah, I'm I'm seeing it done a lot more now in a lot of other stuff. It's because scanline rendering is 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 so efficient, so fast, and that's really what all the GPUs are doing. And now you've got now you can hybridize those the same way we did the scanline rendering in 3ds Max, and mm -hmm. so you're getting this like super performant but really great um, visual fidelity out of these things, you know, <clears throat> which is what got me interested, got me back interested into. CG because I mean, like I said, I was pretty burned out on on the whole tech side of the world. Right. So I, I mean, that was an here. interesting time. I mean, to me, it was the the revolutionary time of ray tracing in terms of yeah that you know. So it was it was V-Ray and Brazil and Final Render were like the big three that everyone was interested in doing. Yeah. And you know, it was interesting to me was because you guys came from blur and you knew how artists worked because you guys were literally embedded into blur you developed interfaces and ways of actually interacting with the render that just made sense yeah, yeah there are things like you know since brazil's gone and i've tried pulling up other renderers uh in recent history now it's like oh i miss those tools it was just so much smoother to work with in brazil yeah. That's, it's also what I knew and what I was comfortable with, you know, but it's, I, I find it very right. difficult to do other runners. <laughs> well, I mean, what was it like? I mean, I know, I mean, it was probably, you said you mentioned it was a really hard time during some of those things, but what was it like being a part of that, 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 that part of the ray tracing sort of revolution that was going on at that time? Well, there was, it was, 
it was awesome. There was a lot of things we were doing that were pretty unique. Um, we we based our our business structure on the same thing the Yoast Group was doing. So we didn't have offices, right? So we were one of the mm-hmm. first sort of virtual companies out there. Um, the mm-hmm. internet was really just starting. It was making that switch from it was just a bunch of pages that you went and visited and it was like business cards laying out there in portfolios. Uh, it was making yep. that switch to where it became more of a social interactive thing. So yep. everybody was with forums and chat rooms and all this stuff that we were all throwing together. So it became this like Brazil and Splutterfish became more than just this render it became this entire community. And it's really, really mm-hmm. it was just, it was a really neat time to be doing that. And we ended up, because of what we were doing, um, worldwide attention, you know, our, our manual was translated into, um, I def- I saw, I got, somebody sent me a Japanese version of our manual. And I think I, I saw some, some Russian stuff too, even though we didn't, we didn't sell much into Russia, even, even back then. Right. They were more hassle to deal with anything else. But <laughs> yeah. 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 I do. I do remember, you know, that one, one thing that was very, uh, big memory to me i was working on a uh, i was working on day after tomorrow i believe and they were oh, trying yeah. to do they were working on a movie they were setting up a dd they were setting up to do stealth as a film and they were trying to get these cg airplanes to look very photoreal and they were using RenderMan at the time and they had a slew of tds working on RenderMan shaders to try to make this thing look cg and it just wasn't quite right and then someone saw on the internet, it was, I actually think it was Rob Niederhorst, he saw a, a short clip that some guy did, Rune Spawn, I think you remember him, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, and he did a little nope. jet that's flying around in oh, Brazil, and it just, yeah, yeah. do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was perfect, and they're like, he did it, you know, and you can imagine, and like people who are all at that time, Maya and Renderman's like, this guy did it in Max by himself. <laughs> And he didn't use any custom shaders at all. Like, how is he just showing us off like this? And so that it was a really like a big thing is like how, how this is going to work and how this is going to be. So I remember, I mean, specifically that, that ray tracing revolution was a big deal. It was like suddenly like you don't need an army of TDs to make something look realistic. You basically yeah. needed yeah, good we math. Really, we really <laughs> felt like um, we felt like we were doing something that was really important because we were taking right. what was – my experience as a kid trying to do this stuff and and just getting hitting a wall because I didn't have the money <clears throat> for the equipment that you needed to do this work, and we were just like, "Oh, you have a PC? Yeah, okay, that's really the the, the entry point now. Is just do you have a PC on your desktop? You know, which was right. Uh, just empowering the artists and really um, focusing on the on, on the artists and the problem solving was. I, I, it was, it was a pretty neat, it was a pretty neat time. We, I, I really felt like we were doing something important, you know? It was, it was. And you guys were really cool to talk to. I know, I know it was a very competitive time during that time, especially with different softwares, but you guys were always very cool to talk to, always very friendly. And I've always liked hanging out and chatting with you and Steve Blackman as well. Cause I think it was just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really, really great stuff. Um, and it was fun. Now, uh, I mean, you, you, from what I remember, like the Brazil render is kind of still alive in hardware. Is that true? It's, um, it has changed so radically that I don't think it really is. Um, last I heard, okay. um, like, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not spoiling anything by saying this because nobody I've spoke with works for the companies, but so it's just a rumor. Again. Okay. But, Right. My understanding is that the the what was the original sort of core technology did make it into into hardware rendering, right? The, that company mm-hmm. got bought. The company that bought them got bought. Um, the technology sort of existed in a limbo, and it's it's been developed and and um, focused more and more. And I think it was re- relatively recently that Apple was talking about ray tracing and the hardware that they're using is very likely to be based on some like offspring of that hardware. So it, it may right. just be standard ray tracer inside of an Apple. 
iPhone at some point. Um, I don't know, but yeah, it's Got pretty it. much. Yeah, it's you can't like get the renderer and use it, you know, anymore. Things like that. Right. Some people, some people were still struggling trying to keep licenses working up until like 2016 and 20, 2018, I think. Oh, really? There was wow. still one license that was that was given out, and it's like, oh, guys. <laughs> Yeah, but I I do remember like you guys were doing things like they were just from I mean you made an interface and icons inside of Max that like oh no that look that makes sense like it was just it was just much better in a lot of ways to to yeah. some of those things I mean it was really great uh, and of course you know there was there was all kinds of, I was obviously much more of a, a V-Ray person but I've always had huge respect for 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 what Brazil was doing and what it was about so it was really cool. Yeah, I sold a lot of V-Ray. We'd get we get uh, people calling, um, like asking us, like looking at different rendering packages and and mm-hmm. talking about what they wanted to do. And we'd buy. Well, mm-hmm. we're working on that part, but V-Ray does it right now. I would get V-Ray, <laughs> and I said, you know, uh, <laughs> us later. And you know, we we gained a lot of oddly enough a lot of customer loyalty that way because they're like, oh, I can really trust these guys, you know. Yeah, because I, I didn't. That's you know, great. It was, it, even back then, it's it's about the image and it's about the job and it's about the artist. It's not about the render itself. Um, I always wanted to work more together with uh, the other renderer guys around, and I, I even talked to, um, had some some good discussions with the V-Ray guys about it. Never mm-hmm. really came to much, but but it was sincere. You know, it's, it's stuff I want to do. With the uh, um, even the developers from. Um, Seabus were were pretty open about that stuff, but it's kind of the, mm-hmm. the leadership wasn't on board. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I well I told I told Vlado that I'm doing a podcast with you and he is super excited. He's like, I want to know what he's up to. I was like, well, you'll find out. <laughs> so, and I've had I've had a couple I Marcus Fajaro has been on here and so I've had a bunch of people in the render oh, space. Right yeah. Uh, I keep running into people that are like I, I, I ran I told I think I told a story I, I, I was on Pismo Beach of all places and my daughter ran into this person and chatted with this this kid that was her age and they became friends on the beach and then I met this person's dad and he was like, Oh yeah, I used to you know used to be into computer graphics way back in the day. I, I wrote a I wrote a renderer called Pavre. <laughs> I was like, What? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Well that's the guy who wrote Pavre. Super nice guy. Okay, so uh all right, but I uh, you know you you mentioned obviously it got really difficult and challenging and I'm sure being an entrepreneur and some of the politics and this and acquisitions, you don't have to get into it if you don't want to. And I'm sure it's fine, but uh, I want to get into this brewing thing a little bit. So you became, you started getting into brewing beer. How did that, how did that start? What was your, where did that passion come from? I love beer. So tell me about that. That also happened in college. Um, I don't <laughs> think I was old break yet. Um, okay. But I was, so I'm, I'm super curious, right? I I'm, I just want to know how everything works, right? It's just part of my nature. First principles guy, right? right? And I was actually, I, I played rugby for the longest time, but this was when I was starting out playing rugby. And uh, one of my teammates, like after practice, he's like, you guys want a beer? I brought beer. And I was like, yeah, sure. And he opens up his trunk and I'm like, what kind of beer is this? And he's like, it's homebrew. And I'm like, well, what the hell is homebrew? It's like, it's beer you make at home. And I was like, you can make beer? So I was like, I was just like, well, you have to show me how to do this. And um, right. so he, he he invited me over. We brewed a batch of beer. I, I was like, this is amazing. Um, I called up a buddy. I was like college poor. Called up a buddy and said, hey, you know, it's going to cost, I want to make beer. It's going to cost this much to buy the equipment. Let's split it half and half and we'll just, we'll brew every week and, and split the beer. And, and Started brewing at that point pretty much every week. Um, right. Did that all through my time in Minneapolis and, and into California. And then uh, I was, when I moved to the Pacific Northwest, it kind of, I got some, I got more equipment. I got more efficient at it. it I was making better, uh, better beers and uh, just hanging out with friends. And they were like, they're like, you should really open a brewery. This is, this is good stuff. And I was, so I threw, I, after I got out of Caustic Graphics, I was I was just kind of like floating, 
who didn't know where I was going to go. I was like, yeah, I should, I should just do that. And I gave it a shot. Yeah. We just sold the brewery, uh, about a month ago. So we closed at the end of the end of June here. Okay. So I'm getting, I'm getting out of the brewing business now. <laughs> okay. But yeah. you did that for like at least a decade or two, right? No, a decade, yeah, it's been, right? It's been 10 years. This is our 10th year. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But that was fun. It was a good distraction. It sounds like. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. Um, I still, I still love it. I'm really, um, just a nerd about, about beer and beer styles and, um, yeah, just, it's, it's like, what's your favorite beers? What's your favorite beer type? Uh, um, my favorite beer has been probably for, <clears throat> probably for, for 20 years now is an English style IPA, which is, a okay. which is, is almost, it's a maltier IPA. It's not super hoppy. It's not super hop forward. It's just more bitter. Um, it's mm-hmm. exactly what I have right here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's our we in the Pacific Northwest. It's so unlike an IPA here that that we sell it uh, at the brewery as a as a Northwest style amber, which means it's a it's a slightly hoppy amber, and right yeah, it's really that's really popular. Just super drinkable, um, not too not incredibly strong, but but a nice full flavor. And, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I th- I find it fascinating that. Uh, uh, American beers that used to be just had the worst reputation in the world for being super crappy beers uh, has completely turned around uh, and recently, which is always, it was always there, but it was just kind of very hidden. But now so many microbreweries are showing up in places that are re- making some of the best beers that there's now places in Europe that are like trying to get American microbrews into them, even places like Belgium, you know, which are really kind of have uh, really great stuff. And, I just find it amazing. I do. I, I'm. I'm glad to hear to hear about. I'm really curious to taste that the beer that you have because I am tired of the IPA craze a little bit in LA. Like you go to, a, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Uh, yeah. But I do think it's really amazing, and I'm a huge fan of uh, of the beige, uh, uh, barrel aged stouts and barrel aged uh, uh, oh, yeah. beers as well, which I think are really good. Yeah. Did you guys make any of those as well? Yep. Yeah, we've done. Um, I think one of the best beers I've ever made was a, a barrel aged Scotch ale, um, like, a, like a strong Scotch, and just with yeah. the the combination of the the super sweet, rich, malty beer with that that sort of sort of bourbon hit in it, it mm-hmm. just can't top it. I think it's just the best combo there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's really really good. Well, all right. Well, I'm gonna have to. Uh, at some point when you come down to LA, you and I are going to have to do some good beer tasting. At some yeah. Point. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah. Where you at? <laughs> I'm in Burbank, but I go to Culver city for, for, for work. Cause that's where my work, where the job is. So Ooh, yeah. 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 I'm really, it's really likely I'll end up in, in LA periodically here. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, how, okay. So how you take a, you take this big break from, from visual effects. How do you say like, eh, I'm just going to get back into supervising. How did, how did like, you just say call someone up and like, how does that work? I mean, that's, that's a big transition. No, um, it is, it's a lot of past experience. Um, it's a, not okay. a lot of in, like super in-depth experience. This show that I just got off of is the, sort of the the longest like on from pre-production on set every day that sort of a gig that's the the longest job i've ever done like that Um, okay uh it's it's a lot of networking uh it's people who know me well enough to know um what i'm like my intelligence level what i'm capable of uh my eye sure um um there you know i've got a there's just sort of a bit of a a known reputation so that's that's helped a ton um right it was quite a while ago so things have changed uh they're they're very much the same um but it's 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 kind of nice to get back into it because i i do feel like i'm i i'm because i've worked film it's hard to find like guys who've actually worked with film uh that are that are coming into the industry with now with all this real-time experience right so i'm mm-hmm. it's that that i'm still like heavy into like what's the current tech but i've also just still got this a lot of this old old school like understanding of how 
cameras and lenses and lights and and you know basic in camera stuff works so yeah right um i mean what what besides i mean obviously you're you're starting to interact a lot more with real-time stuff but what what's what's been some of the bigger changes that you've noticed uh, on set especially from on-set supervision like what what's what's changed a lot more uh it could be just this production but but things move fast um there is a lot happening at once. The, um, the, the language is different, you know, uh, there's, there's some slight, it's, it's like, there's some slight differences that I'm like, what did he mean when he said that, that sort of thing. And it's, um, even the, the language around, um, visual effects supervision, cause you know, as a, a, uh, effect supervisor in say 2000 um mm-hmm. i would be a hired gun i'd come in for maybe up to three weeks or two weeks on a job um but i i was my own producer i was my own data wrangler i was all that stuff it seems like there's a lot better separation of those jobs now um mm-hmm. so that you've got the supervisor who kind of runs the entire project and you've got the producer which is a key part of that of that business and organizational end and now you've got visual effect coordinator visual effect effects um editor that's involved so that you're starting to to look at shots before they get subbed out to vendors and you're getting director sign off there's a lot of things that we were doing at the tail end of my work in visual effects where we were we were starting to do more previs on set where we had a computer there with an operator, an animator, right? Um, basically doing previs and for any tweaks the director wanted to do, or if there was a camera change or something like that, well, we just rerun the previs. Mm-hmm. That sort of stuff is, um, I was doing basically tech viz for some of our end camera effects on the spot where it was literally like the we know what the shot was going to be, but we never it's we know it's going to be a visual effects shot. It's going to be a force perspective shot, but we we it's not planned out in advance. The the director and the DP like get on set, they see what they want to do, they find the shot, and then it's like okay, now I got to do it real quick tech viz. So I just I open up Unreal. I've got some scripts written. I've got, I drop in some mannequins and, and a camera and I set this thing all up super fast. It's all there. Every, everything that we need to see shows exactly how it has to be done. And I'm like immediately on the radio to the grips telling them I need this and I need this and I need this. And we we get this stuff built and it's what we used to take, you know, what I would assume would, would usually be like days of planning. Now we're doing, and it's it's only kind of slowing down that production, like maybe five to ten minutes. You know, it's a it's wow. an extra step in there, but it's it it allows so much more flexibility. Um, and it's that that ten minutes includes actually bringing in all the all the extra materials that we need for platforms and and rigging and, and, and things like that. It was super, super fun. It was, it was the neatest project I've ever worked on. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, so, so, I mean, obviously unreal has been a big, uh, a big game changer in a lot of that, uh, that stuff for you guys and, and for what you're doing. And you are able to sort of use it as a literally real time filmmaking tool, <laughs> right? In a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't planned that way. It just ended up being, it, it I mean, it's not like I was brought in to do that. It was just like, you know, we could do this and it will help me do get this done. So it's, there was a, just a lot of tools we were, we were bringing in. Uh, and as we realized we needed more, um, the iPhone LIDAR scanning everything, you know, so we, mm-hmm. we, we were just like, like super rapidly scanning, pulling things in and using it as kind of this previs tech viz, uh, blocking real quick. Um, here's, and then, get the get the director of the dp over it's like how do you how do you like this is this kind of what you think you want to do you know it was it's pretty cool but it's definitely that's a change you know we weren't seeing that kind of stuff before yeah i think that's kind of awesome i think it's really great that people are able to just sort of 
build it right away then and there and make it work and figure out everything you're needing. I mean, I, it's a blessing in a lot of ways. But I, I meant, yeah, I noticed, you know, a lot of stuff you've been writing about or, or I've seen that you're getting into, you're starting to get more into some virtual production work as well. Is that true? Are you starting to look at some of that? So what are some of the things you're looking at in virtual production and how are you using that to solve some of your problems? Um, I'm So by virtual production, I'm, I don't mean LED walls. Um, Neither do I. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's that's usually a kind of a mis, misinterpretation there. So it's yep. um, a lot of it is about, using the tools as part of story development. Um, I like that. Um, I'm working with some, um, uh, if you've, uh, we've got some friends, some local independent filmmakers. So we're kind of experimenting with some little ideas um, to, to be able to use this a little bit more as, as an independent tool. So, you know, um, doing things where we've done, there's been a little bit of experimenting with some sort of interactive lighting, just, just using projectors instead of LED walls for the, mm -hmm. the lighting itself. Um, also a little bit of uh, motion capture, mostly just to, to capture camera information so that we can do um, a handheld camera on a green screen and, and be able to use that in a, in a visual effects pipeline and, and to be able to the um, what do they call it simulcam, um, where you can right. see we're doing a green screen shoot where we can see what 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 what's actually happening and things like that. Yeah, simulcam is another thing that that is definitely wasn't being done back in the two in the early two thousands. Right, nope. it's not broadly, and and that was something we were we were using on set pretty regularly just to help with eye lines and interaction when people were when when the characters were not actually in the same space if you can simulcam it then they can still get the same action even if they're in two different rooms you know the same interaction you know right right yeah. right yeah i've i've actually been very 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 interested in virtual production for a long time especially virtual cameras yeah, let's let's get more into to real time. I think what what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in in, in real time, and you're thinking that's going to change some of the filmmaking process as we go. Um, primarily the visual fidelity. I, I I think we're getting closer and closer to. Well, I mean it's it's already happening, but just getting final pixel um, directly off of things in real time. Um, that's you know it's uh and the more adoption of these tools i it's uh man that's a weird question and i don't know why my brain scrammed on it um <laughs> but um i think it's the that same sort of stuff we had with brazil where i felt like the the artist was being empowered to in a, at a level that we'd never seen before. And that's what I'm smelling here is that the, that a lot of the creative blockers are getting out of the way. And, and one of the biggest creative blockers is, is time. You know, if you're waiting for things, if you can't see something, if you're trying to imagine something and, but if the tools are getting easier so that you can, quickly toss together what you're trying to, to convey to somebody else. And then to be able to, to take that as a starting point and rather than ditch it, right. Um, you can iterate it on it and you iterate on it in real time. So it's more like working with, with pen and paper or a canvas, right? There's, right. there is, there is an immediate, what I'm doing is either adding to or taking away, um, from what I'm trying to get across. And I think that is, I think that's part of the creative process that, that I think real time is going to, is starting to make happen. Um, yep. And so it's, I think it's about storytelling. I think it's about the, the creatives behind it. Um, that's the things that I think are the coolest. I don't think it's necessarily um, these giant uh, LED stages. 
which I'm going to I'm going to check one out tomorrow. I'm, I'm yeah. really stoked about that. Um, I don't know if you I, know I, this, but I, your color bars are new. I know. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know. Uh, yeah, don't worry about that. It's just a, it's a, it's fine. Um, but, um, it's interesting cause I, I agree completely. Uh, I like, I've been interested in virtual production for hu a huge amount of time. Uh, I've actually interested in that color fidelity. I truly believe that when, when we get to that real time, the, the, the beauty of real time is not necessarily the rendering part. It's the real time part <laughs> that I love. Yeah. It's the fact that you can interact, interact with things yeah. and make a decision when your mouse button goes up <laughs> as opposed to keep making decisions until you find the right one. You know, you just, you keep going and going and going. And so, like you said, like a pen and pen to paper, right? Uh, which I think is great. Yeah. But I, I am really interested in when we get to that final pixel, which part of me thinks like is not going to happen with a rasterized rendering solution. It's going to happen with ray tracing. Uh, and I'm really seeing like ray, full, ray full ray tracing happening in real time. And that's something I've been working on for a long time and saying, well, well when I have that, then I have the best of both worlds. <laughs> and that's going to be the best part of it. So that's really what I'm looking forward yeah. to. I mean, what are your thoughts about real-time ray tracing? Yeah, that's that's what got that's really what um, got my attention on the tech side of things. Is I've been kind of waiting for it. It kind of felt like we had this. We were involved in this really revolutionary time in in desktop rendering, right, and mm -hmm. and artistic tools and things like that. And it felt like there that wasn't really happening for. A, quite a long time and I know things were happening but it really just felt like there wasn't that excitement or anything and it's the ray tracing on the GPU that that got me going going what uh, <laughs> we expect you guys to do this five years ago but it's awesome you're finally getting there yeah. um, and uh, being able to get access to it um, as just an individual right not a you know it's 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 a gaming card so uh, yeah, they're hard to get, but they're going to get easier to get. They're they're already easier to get, and the prices are coming back down to reasonable mm -hmm. um, because market pressures made the prices go up so crazy. But um, that means you've got access to, like, super fast ray tracing, right? And I just looking at this and, and messing with it, it's not always real time, but doesn't need to be a real time if you know when you we used to talk about hours per frame or things like that and now it's like oh it's going to take 30 seconds a frame oh that's too slow are you kidding me right yeah. <laughs> like yeah. a lot of the real time guys the the um i'll listen to interviews with like the guys from epic and they're like oh yeah it's it's not really feasible and it's like are you kidding me that's totally feasible right um it's like give it to me you know um but it's, yeah, it's like being able to like that quickly look at how the light moves across the surface and how the sh how like s soft shadows are beginning to work and how these things are starting to come together. I think it's just that you there's raster cheats for that, but there's always just nice to get that that ground truth that a ray trace will give you. You know, yeah, for all that I, stuff. You know, for a I remember really. Yeah, I, I remember what uh, Eric Nash was telling me. He was a uh, he was a VFX supervisor I worked with on actually on iRobot, and he was came from he came from the background of miniature DP. So he never actually worked in CG, but he was a great supervisor. But he's like, I want to know how you do lighting, like because that's was his background, right? He's a DP, and it's like how you do lighting, and and this is back in you know in RenderMan before ray tracing. So we had like you know a crap load of lights just to imitate the reality of the situation which now would just be done with an hdr right so uh so i would do that and i would show him he's like this is crazy and it's like okay so we do that and then i move the slide and then i hit render and i wait and i wait and i wait and then i look at that and see what a kind of adjustment and i can and i'll start and move a couple of lights and hit render and wait and when he goes he says the best analogy i would have of how this would translate to me being a lighter on set would be for me to look at the scene turn all the lights off move them around, 
wait half an hour, turn them on, <laughs> see what I got. Say like, that's not going to work. Turn them all off again, and then guess where I have to put it. And wait. I was like, this is the most inefficient thing possible. So yes, I think yeah. moving and seeing the the actions and reactions in real time to what you're deciding is is the key to success in this area, right? Yeah, I think I think and I think that that really that puts it very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's great. I mean I've been focused on 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 real time ray tracing for a long time and I've sort of you know, first I did a a show with uh uh Ke did you know Kevin Margo at Blur? <laughs> he was a blur. I don't think so. Man. Okay. So I worked with Kevin Margo oh, and he was doing a short called Construct and he was, and we refer, this was in 2013, 14. We started experimenting with, with adding V-Ray to Motion Builder so that we could do real-time ray tracing. And that's just when we had these GPU renders. And it was the first time I was like, oh my God, it can start to look, I mean, it was grainy as hell <laughs> because it, you know, those GPUs were not as fast as they are now. But it's amazing how far we got, and it's just kind of nice, like to to sort of see that process. And uh, now I'm working with you know with Unreal and seeing how can I get V-Ray. Like there's V-Ray for Unreal, but I want to get Vantage in there, which is another real-time ray tracer we're working on, and sort of really seeing the fidelity of it is. And it just to me, it's it's bringing back filmmaking tools to the filmmaker. <laughs> You know, when they yeah. actually get to see what they're doing, they don't just hand off the data to someone and say, see you in six months. Hopefully it looks like what I imagined in my head. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And I, I like the, what these tools have done to the, to the production pipeline in a lot of cases where it isn't being handed off. It's kind of being the, the, the look of the shot and the, the visual effects themselves are being developed alongside uh, the rest of the story and, and production. They're right. all being done at the same time because you now we're we're able to bring these guys, bring the effects team in sooner, right? And then they can basically just start out as previs and and iterate through, um, and that means productions get done faster, you know, right? Um, and decisions be get made sooner. <laughs> Too, right yeah i mean yeah. how are you noticing the communication now you know compared to like you were in you know you said in the early 2000s to now like, like your communication with your the, the the creatives on set is it is it different as you able to make choices faster or how do you feel that that communication is going uh well in this in this production the stuff i've been i haven't seen any real change there um that's kind of the same okay um you know where they um they make decisions on this they're just to support them and advise you know um as much as possible i you know i still um generally i just try to stay out i try to stay out of the way um you know i don't want to disrupt their process um so i i just uh i lurk and listen Mm -hmm. And uh, if I if I need to ask a question or uh, get something communicated to another department or to um, stop them from uh, doing something that might uh, be a bigger problem down the road, right? Uh, then I'll then I'll get involved. But it's 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 on set working. It's same way it used to be. You know, there's not much of a change there. You know, because okay. that's that's their spot that's where they're that's where they're working and they're doing their thing and and um you gotta let that happen but do know? they see what you're doing sooner as opposed to you know before we would just go out with a bunch of you know chrome balls and they didn't really know what the hell we're doing but they, yeah, they get I, to see your previs right there and interact with you a little bit more sooner yeah yeah um it it gives them a much better idea of what they're what they're doing um, right. Because it is difficult to imagine. Oh, there's, there's a, a you know, a, a 15 foot creature right here, right? right? Well, a lot of people can't really. They don't know exactly what 15 feet is, right? So it sounds kind of obvious, but um, most people would get it wrong. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when they're thinking about, oh, well, your outline's going to be like this. Mm-hmm. And and you go, no, he's he's gonna he's going to fill this room, <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Right, right. And so there's not going to be any room to move. This is a giant, giant like creature inside here. So um, they can then look at that and go, oh, yeah, he's a lot bigger than I thought he was going to be. Right, that right. sort of thing. Nice. And so we were seeing a lot of that. Where they're like, oh, okay. So we have to make sure that that the actors stay clear of um. Like it would be a lot more, there would have been a lot more sort of impingement in the past, and a lot more sort of it would it would be a struggle uh, between the effects supervisor and the the director or DP because they they're seeing something different in their head. But if you can actually kind of show them and go, look, this is this is what we're looking at, and as as quickly as you can do that, and as clearly as you can do that, all the better, you know. Um, so that's that's I definitely did see. Uh, something, a change with that. And that was something that early on um, was sort of a leap that everybody had to make um, and having the the tools available to sort of get them to, to see it helped. Uh, and then once everybody sort of had that headspace, then we didn't even need to use it anymore. Everybody was on board and, and had a, had a, a very good idea of what we were um, looking at and, and trying to, the space we're trying to fill and things like that. Right. And so it sounds like you're really enjoying it, though, like which is kind of awesome to get back into doing on yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's um, I've I've missed I've missed the work very sorely. Uh, a you know the the brewery's been busy. My intention was always to get back into this, mm-hmm. and it it kept getting pushed off and pushed off and pushed off. And and man, even even five six months in, every day. Uh, getting on set and just that energy, um, seeing everybody, I couldn't get the grin off my face. <laughs> um, my, before we, we started rolling on the first take of the day, my heart would just start pounding. I just would get so excited. I don't know why it's so weird. Um, you know, by the end of the day, my attitude might've changed 180 degrees, but, but every day I was, it's a, it's a different, it's a different set of problems. And, um, I, I just love working with and helping people you know, like get that, deliver that vision there and that story they're trying to tell. I don't know why it's just my, I, I, uh, I, that just tickles me. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about the projects you worked on? I know it's probably a little early, but maybe there's a little bit of something you can tell us about some of the things you were. Yeah. Um, I, I expect that it'll probably come out, um, Probably sometime next year. I I, I don't know the timeline up for sure. Um, okay. It's been written up in Variety magazine. It's a it's an Amazon series called I'm a Virgo mm-hmm. by uh, Boots Riley, uh, who did Sorry to Bother You. Okay. And so this is the first episodic um, that we shot. It's about a um, a kid that grows up in Oakland, and uh, we meet him he's like 19 and he's 13 feet tall so there's um some challenges uh socially and societally that he's working working through um boots uh boots does a lot of i love boots storytelling in his style and his um uh this the kind of social justice messaging and stuff that that is very um prominent in his work um he, he used to be a uh he was a, a hip-hop uh, star mm-hmm. um, from oh man I'm, I'm, th- he was in the coup he was in Street Sweeper Social Club and then uh, he was also uh, with Galactic a bit mm-hmm. um, all, all amazing I, I yeah. suggest checking him out his, his stuff is great um, which is uh, it was actually such an honor to get to work with him on this uh, having actually seen him live at one point several years ago you know <laughs> that's nice that's awesome yeah that's awesome well listen scott i really appreciate you know catching up with you on this stuff i can't wait to see these shows i can't wait to see that i'm 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 excited to see all the things you've done i knew you got into brewing beer and i was very excited about that but i can imagine at this point you wanting to get back into it at sort of at a grassroots level you're doing visual effects at the grassroots level now which is kind of amazing and wonderful <laughs> uh and to yeah. to be back into it is is super cool so 
Really excited. I can't wait. Actually, at some point, I want to share some of the stuff I'm doing in, in virtual production and see your thoughts and maybe get your feedback on some of that. That would be that'd be really great. So, oh, I'd love to check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, for sure. So that'd be cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it, Scott. Cool. Well, thank you.